welcome to Archive Treasures, where we delve into the collection of the Trentham and Districts Historical Society to see what treasures we can discover. Each episode of Archive Treasures, we will be speaking to a member from the Historical Society. They will be telling us about something special, an object that has been preserved as part of the archival collection, an interesting event that occurred, or a project that the Society is undertaking. Archive Treasures is produced on Jajawarong country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners, and we would also like to extend our respects to their elders, both past and present. Once again, we must thank Richard and Trish Ryan for their foresight in creating these recordings, and Susie Spence for her persistent encouragement to put them out for you all to enjoy. And the last of the Pigtails recordings, it is Noel Keogh and John Toomey keeping us entertained with stories of life in East Trentham and some of the characters of the district. All right, well, I'm going to kick off and just say that it's the 3rd of February 2011. Um, I have with me John Toomey, Noel Keogh and Jack Benson. John and Noel are long-term residents of this area and I think patrons of the Bigger Missile. So, John, can you start by just telling us your age and your background in the area? Yes, uh, 74 years of age. Uh, Great-grandfather came to Trentham in 1968. The three generations born in Australia. 1968? 18, 1868. Right. So three generations born here? Yeah. And always at the same location? Oh, well, pretty well, yes. Yeah. Noel, your age, if you don't mind, and yep. background? I'm 76. I was 24th of January, 76. I was born, well, brought up on the farm at the Colburn. My father was there. Oh, I don't know how many years, but anyway, it's still going on. And uh, they, they come from Glenline, and there's a connection with the Termies. Old Termie and old Keogh gold mining, or as far as I know. And they married two girls from Glenline, which were named Boltons. And that's how, that, that's how the trouble started. <laughs> that's our grandfathers married the Boltons, yes. John, I know you've got stories written down as well as in your head. Um, and is it, is, is it Chris O'Connell that you were doing? Yes. Chris O'Connell, an East Trentham legend. Born July 1904, died April 1986. The eldest of three children, the two youngest sisters moved to Western Australia. His father's name was Malachy and his mother's family name was Ryan from Trentham before marriage. Chris's mother died when Chris was 12 years of age in the middle of the First World War. He went to live with cousins in Maroopna and went to a state school there. His refusal to salute the national flag on Monday because of his Irishness probably, and he was engaged in many fights. In his younger days, he was quite idealistic and begrudged his hard-working father a few beers of a Saturday afternoon. However, as the years rolled by, things changed considerably. His funny happenings and sayings are considerable, but here are a few. It would be fair to say his car driving ability was not very good. 
during the Second World War after one of his bingles when he was driving a vehicle with wooden spokes, he said, the scene resembled a bloody woodyard. <laughs> Another occasion, many years later, after running into a car outside the East Trentham Church, he said, I must have been thinking of my sins. On hearing this, another well-known resident said, his mind would be fully occupied. <laughs> <laughs> he married uh, when he was in his 50s and may have not been over-enthusiastic about doing so because the day before the event, he stated to a former East Trentham resident, I go before the firing squad in the morning. Sadly, his wife, Margaret, died only about two years later after they were married. For a time, they lived in Rippers Lane near the Fernhill Reservoir. And one night, to test his reaction, she hit herself. What then happened must have disappointed her because he said, Margaret must have jumped into the bloody res and calmly got into bed. <coughs> he was involved in various farming endeavours and at one stage milked cows and once asked the then Kite and Butter Factory for some second grade butter. I'm being told they didn't have any, he said, but what do you do with my cream? <laughs> In the 1950s, at one stage, he rode a motorbike called Francis, I think. One day the local constable pulled him up for no number plates on and with typical Irish wit, he immediately shot back, I'm just going to get the screws for them. On one occasion, when in the Kyneton Hospital, after burning his leg, when the nurse said, I don't like the look of that stump, he said, the only stump you have to worry about is the middle one. <laughs> the nurse's reaction is unknown. Chris was an extremely uh, keen funeral attender, often with his faithful dog, Spargo. And on one occasion, perhaps he may have wished he hadn't taken him because when Spargo was relieving himself, the coffin received a sprinkle. <laughs> when the Trentham Commercial Hotel was in operation one Friday, when Chris adjourned there, he left a parcel of sausages in the utility and Spargo removed them and started eating them outside the Anglican church. When Chris saw that what happened, he said, it was bad enough Spargo eating meat on a Friday, but he didn't have to change his religion. <laughs> At one stage, Chris and his campmates had some fowls and were having trouble with foxes. One night coming home, his campmate fired a shot from a rifle which went close to hitting Chris's vehicle. On getting out, he said to the campmate, do I look like a bloody fox? <laughs> uh, reverting to Chris's funeral attending, 1970, when the then French President General de Gaulle had died, he was asked, was he going to the funeral? As no local had died for some time, he asked, what funeral? When told of General de Gaulle's passing, he said, you mastered the wire. It was a routine of Chris's at one stage to bring a carton of milk into the pig and whistle to mix with his whiskey. In a fit of a devilment, the then publican decided to puncture the carton. When this happened, Chris wasn't very happy and aimed to hit the publican with a bottle of lemonade on the counter. However, Trentham's most famous soldier immediately grabbed the bottle 
and no harm resulted. Recently, there's been concern about locusts. According to Chris, 1935, the holy water stopped them at Newton's Lane. <laughs> Thank you, John. That is fantastic. A um, couple of stories. The story about the dog eating the meat. I've heard a version of before. I can't remember who from exactly, but, but yeah, that's, that's good. Noel, you want to, do you got any stories oh, well, similar to kick off with? John did bring up that uh, when he got married and he's... Uh, He's lovely lady she was, his wife, and she, come on, Chris, get out of bed, he said. She said, uh, you've got to have a bath, we're going to mass. And Chris wasn't too used to having baths in there. Anyways, he's gone and Hockley had the pub here and he's a bit of a villain. And Chris come in, he's, he said to him, after mass, he said, uh, my word, Chris, you're well done up today. And he said, done up, he said, I've been to Mass, he said, I've been that bloody cold, he said. I was shaking that much, the cross on the altar was shaking. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he was just a marvellous man with a lot of, uh, a lot of ways of... There's no malice in all his humour. No, no. Like some <laughs> other people I've known. Like... Yeah. So Chris, just yeah. to place him in the context of our earlier discussions, Chris was Billy O'Connell's... Father's first cousin. Father's first cousin. This Chris Ryan was one out of the world, you know. Chris Ryan was his uncle. His mother was a Ryan. And... Uh, yeah, he had some famous sayings. <laughs> did he ever? <laughs> he was unbelievable. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, if uh, drop one of them there, Atomic bombs on Trenton and blow half Trenton up, you know. <laughs> and Chris is outside the bloody Trenton Motel, the living, he had the spring cart and he used to cut all the groceries and that from the station and uh, deliver around town. Anyway, there's a funeral going past and old Chris takes the hat off and holds it on his chest and someone said to him, do you know him, Mr Ryan? No, he said, but it's a procession. I'm going to lead myself one day. Yeah. <laughs> and he used to talk about the third last quarter, didn't he? Oh, yes. Chris Ryan, this is yeah. Yeah, Little Leo, his son. He, Leo was a only son. He had two daughters as well. This is old Chris. Well, Chris Ryan now, not Chris O'Connell. Yeah. And uh, anyway, the, little Leo, he bought him a horse. He used to call him little Leo, but he, he was bigger than his father, but that didn't matter. And Scalas had the blacksmith shop. blacksmith shop down the bottom there. And uh, anyway, Chris goes flying and there was old Bill Scaler and Bert Scaler. And, and they said, you have, have you seen the little Leo? No, he said. They said, where is he? He said, oh, he took off on the horse and I haven't seen him since. He said, uh, you know, he said, every hair in his head's worth a thousand pound. And old Bill Scaler said, I hope you get him back, you want to cash him in straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're bloody dags, I tell you. To be sure. <laughs> yeah. They're still speaking with an Irish accent, were they? Oh, well, all these Trinidad did. Yeah. No, all the... Bernie O'Connor was down to more Irish <laughs> than the Irish. <laughs> Bernie and there was a big family of them. How many was there? 14 there? Oh, there's a lot. lot about five died very young yeah. as children, I think. Oh, yeah. They were partial to a drop of the amber fluid, you see. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, I used to arrive here every evening and Corrie, Tom was Corrie, that was his nickname. He had his corner up that corner there. If you were in that seat and he come in, you wouldn't hear him, but the next thing, he'd get in right behind you and push you out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, anyway, the Buddy Hockley was a villain of a publican we had here. And he's there and uh, they're here one night and there's a big thunderstorm. So Hockley said, they ride the bikes up from down the road. And Hockley said, them, you know, he said, you'll get wet, a bit of drive home. So he gets them in the ute. And they said, what about the bikes? He said, no, you can get them tomorrow. So, so bloody, he takes them home. And anyway, the next bloody thing, Sunday morning, just after 10, 10 past 10, Hockley's cleaning the bar and he sees them riding past on the bike going to Mass. <laughs> anyway, they come in after Mass about 11 o'clock and Hockley said, and by Joseph, you must have been up early this morning. Why is that? Corrie said, well, I see you riding the bloody bike to Mass this morning. Oh, he said, no, he said, we come back last night and got them, didn't <laughs> And did we get a I wouldn't cut that out. <laughs> just bloody funny buggers, I tell you. The, um, the church up the road, which is no longer a church, but it was the local Catholic yeah. church, um, and that's where they were always heading for Mass. That mm. um, when did it cease being the church? Oh, in the 1990s. I think Jimmy Evans was the last one buried there on... Oh, the uh, Tuesday after the 1999 grand final. It, like, he lived very close, so it was reasonably appropriate. But he was... didn't. He, actually, John, don't know an interfere, but he didn't get buried there. He got buried down at Tilden. Oh, yeah, Tilden. It would have been a lot closer to go to Trentham, see, but all this East Trentham mob, they wouldn't well, get buried. Well, that was a religious thing yeah. that went back hundreds of so more years, sort of thing. I'm Trentham and they East Trentham. So is it true there was a Catholic-Protestant divide? No, no, well, we were all Catholics. All Catholics? Yeah, but it was a divide between Trentham and East Trentham. Okay. Not a big one, but no. but John's halfway to Trentham anyway. But that sort of all dissolved over time, fortunately. Well, there must have been some Anglicans somewhere if they used to be. Oh, they're at the Trentham, other side. Not down here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sacrilege. <laughs> In terms of what they all did, Spud diggers. Um, what what occupations? Oh yeah, mostly mostly spud. Spud mill yes. workers. Yeah yeah yeah. Oh there was, oh many mills around Trentham you know, fifty years ago about five, and now there's none. Mm. Been hasn't been any for a long time. Yeah, that's progress. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but what what brought the families to the area originally? What? Oh, the good good. Soil to grow potatoes, mm. yeah. And the Irish were used to growing potatoes, and many uh, moved down to the uh, Western District too, like uh, for the same idea, sort of. Okay, and yourselves, John, you've, you're still running sheep? Yes, yes. Is that what else on your place? Uh, just sheep. Just used to be potatoes up till 1972, and beef cattle up till 1995, but just sheep since, and it's always always been sheep, but the sheep are the survivors of the three 
right. three farming arms, yeah. Okay. And Noel, in terms of occupation? I borrowed a 50 pound off my uncle to put a deposit on a truck in 1953, and that went for 38 years. But it did get, I got it, got it into dollars in the end. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, oh, well, that's, that's life. And then uh, I sold that in 80, 88, 89, I sold the transport business. And, and uh, I bought the Trenton Motel, I had that for six years, you know. Yeah. That was interesting, going from one, well, I knew all about pubs, I'd been there a fair bit, you know. Expert, <laughs> and, uh, and then I went to uh, to Dallas at the, had the farmer's arms for a couple of years, and it was interesting again. Yeah. It was another run-down pub, you know. Yeah. When I uh, went up to Dallas with the I went into the National Bank to borrow seventy pound, uh, seven seven hundred dollars for the for the candy or yeah caffeine to put on the uh, to get the pub and anyway uh, the publican says what what security you got I said I've got myself he said what's the pub doing I said nothing he said. Uh, well, how do you know you can make it go? Because I said, what I can't sell, I can drink myself. <laughs> he said, I come back in a week and he give me the money anyway. <laughs> and was very successful for two years. <laughs> very good. When you were trucking, what were you, what were you moving? And how Mostly produce and, and livestock and all that. Yeah. Anywhere or mainly from this area? Um, oh, a lot from this area, but I've done a lot away too, you know. How far did you go? Well, with my own trucks, uh, I'd cart a lot out of Mildura, watermelon, pumpkin and all that. I used to go up, for the people in the market, I used to go up to Home Hill here and Tully, that's where all the, the bad weather's been, and, uh, and buy them for the folks in the market, you know. And sometimes I'd send my truck up if the, they were a bit slack, you know. But it was all wonderful, yeah. How long, how long does it take to get to Tully in those days? An aeroplane pretty quick. <laughs> oh, no, well, the, the trucks move pretty quickly, you know. Yeah. Who sleeps there? I don't know, you might be with the TRB or somewhere. We've got to be very careful what we say. <laughs> we've, we've had all their problems with their mob. <laughs> Back to some of the other characters. Chris O'Connell. Was it Chris Ryan you talked about before? Chris was his uncle, yeah, yeah. Uncle Chris. Well, Chris went done one... Very funny thing. So he got in. He, he, Chris would get into anything, but it didn't last long. <laughs> I'm not knocking him, but he was a real, ma real good bloke. But anyway, he's got, he's got into produce. And he was the first bloke that ever started washing spuds up here. You know? It was a great idea. <laughs> One of his brilliant ideas. It was a good idea what he decided to do. But he, he put the spuds in the Sardine Creek down the back down here. And of course, then he had a couple of drinks, and by the time he went down the end of the creek, the spuds had gone. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he had some wonderful ideas, weird and wonderful ideas, yeah. Mm. Nowhere near as many spuds around now as there was? No, no. On a Friday, Friday night here, you'd see probably eight or ten semi trailers at the front of the pub on a Friday night, yeah. All going Sydney and Brisbane. Around, yeah. 
it's a bit sad to a certainly. Where I was brought up out on the farm out there, we uh, grew about 70 acres of spuds every year, and uh, Dad and, and my brother, they washed them, and you know, 20 kilo bag washed potato. And then at one stage there, the Safeways, uh, I'm not very pleased with Safeways, but we put a packing machine in, 2.5 and 5 kilo bags of spuds. The only time you'd get a big order was uh, towards the weekend. And that that'll be at a cheap price for that week. The next week they'd be selling air spuds for last week's price, you know. And they're getting a the bigger. But they didn't put the they didn't put the specials on, we did, you know. So there was money in it? In spuds? Oh well the, the, the good years and the bad years, weren't they, John? Very uh, yeah. unreliable. You yeah. didn't know one from one year to the next what price you were going to get, like mm. some very good result years and uh, some that just run at a loss. Mm. I reckon the last 10 years we grew them, there was only two years we made any money out of them. Mm. You talked about selling them to Safeways. Did you just sell them to one outlet or to...? Oh, no, you'd take them to the, uh, the warehouse and then they'd direct them from there. Yeah, I'd take a load to Melbourne on a Friday afternoon. And you knew straight away they weren't going to sell them this week. Be, they'll be on the full price next week, you know. I'm not saying they're rags, but by hell they went very straight. Sort of <laughs> took a disaster in other states to get the good price here was the, the way it sort of worked. Yeah. Sort of. Mm. And do you think what killed it, like the potatoes growing closer to the other markets? Oh, well, with the irrigation it sort of knocked knocked this part of the world out pretty much. Uh, they could grow, grow them where, with the irrigation where they wouldn't think of doing so without it, sort of thing. But the supermarkets killed it again, see? Mm. This is my opinion, but I know I'm right. Uh, see, they started growing up at Finley in the, in the sand, and all the spuds had come out nice and white and beautiful, and the ladies wouldn't get their hands dirty and all this. <laughs> But they wouldn't be the quality that would no, be grown not, here. Not the quality, but it saved them getting their hands dirty, you know. And now, like, there's more growing in New South Wales up in the sand hills than what's grown around here. Yeah. What about the spud diggers itinerant? Where did they come from? Were they, were they, did they have a sort of... Around, yes. Go to Gippsland and come up here, yeah. Well, we out, out on the farm out there when Dad was first there dig, digging with the fork, of course, and... and uh, we had one particular big old uh, con crow. He came every year at a certain time, and uh, then he'd leave there and he'd go over to Colac on the peas and all that. And then he he'd come from Coroit. He'd go back to Coroit. He was a big. He loved to have a bet, you know. And th those days, uh, they used to pit the spuds, put them in the pit, and put hay over them to keep them, you know. And then as they, if they went up, they'd start bagging him. Now, Chris is out there, and I said to Dad, I was only pretty young, and I said, Dad, I said, how are you going to go next week? He said, what do you mean? I said, cup week. I said, Con will have to go for a walkabout, you know. Anyway, Con's down there Monday morning. Well, Tuesday's the Melbourne Cup, as we know, and he's there, and he's raking back the the straw off the spuds. 
he come flying up the old man, his mouth's wide open, he said, he said, oh, geez. he said, I've got to have a couple of days off. Dad said, what's wrong? He said, I was raking back the straw, he said, and there was a bloody snake, he said, I nearly got pit. <laughs> yeah, you knew it was all bullshit, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. How did they travel? Spud how did they get from base to place? Oh, the trains, Train mainly, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have their own cars, oh. But all, all this, there was quite a few from Croyd, wasn't there, John? They were bloody, mm. the same blokes every year, you know? The, uh, the Currens, was three, three of them brothers, mm. and they lived, what was the name of the old pub on the corner there, going into Croyd on, Southern Cross, is it? Don't, no, no. Yeah. Did they drink in the pubs? Oh, did they ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they loved to drink, yeah. But they don't know, huh? They're well clean, dressed, everything. Coming back to the pub is a good idea. Um, your experiences with this pub, no, you've already talked about having the Trentham pub and the Dalesford mm. one. But your experiences here? Oh, I know I could go back a bit before <laughs> me. <laughs> I only drink when I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah, Stanley Birdie said the uh, man is the only animal that drinks when he's not thirsty. That's us. But um, gee, it's it's been a, a, a beautiful life. In, I believe so. Anyway, yeah. I've got no complaints. You know, my wife has, but I haven't. You know. <laughs> so you were coming here at what sort of age? What would you have started? What would you have been when you first came? What, how old are you? <laughs> when I I. Well, the lady copper pulled me up one night and she said, you've been drinking too much. How long have you been drinking? I said, since I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like it much either. <laughs> what was the pig like then? Right back. It was different. It was different. Out there, in the bar, that was in two pieces. There was a fireplace in the middle there. And Chris, Chris our marvellous Chris O'Connell, we back to him again. It was Des O'Brien and um, Mick DeWire, which is John's uncle, and uh, they're out there and Chris has come back from Trentham and he's... This might be unsuitable for general exhibition. Oh, well, <laughs> you can cut it if you want. Anyway, Chris has come back and he's sitting there and he flies wide out. So. <laughs> anyway, he's got these packet of sausages, he put them on the mantelpiece. Desi O'Brien says, well, this is too good to be true. So he goes and gets a sausage out of the pack and puts it in the fly. See? And Mick DeWise said, no, that's not good enough, he said. So he goes and gets a charcoal, runs around it, and then he puts a bit of imprint in the end of it. And, and he's laying back there. He's still sound asleep, Christian. Anyway, Nellie, Nellie was a... Lionel's wife, and they used to call her Helen. Mick Dwyer said, Helen, come up here. Anyway, she's, she's come up and she come in and she, you dirty old <laughs> whacked him in the air, and he jumped up and it fell out. <laughs> and he's that busy trying to put it back and then she looked around and she said, you pair of <laughs> Oh, they were funny buggers, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, they, they never stopped, it just went on and on. Yeah. Yes, the, the, uh, well, this 
It used to be an old wooden uh, weatherboard building and it was uh, changed to basically what it is now, about 1950 there. Became mainly brick, yeah. Big updating. Back then, that's a while ago now. Were you a frequenter? Oh, not nearly as much as now. <laughs> but no one else, no one else would be in that class, I don't oh, think. Oh, well. <laughs> I practised. <laughs> you can think of any other stories or things we should get down, but that's enough for today. I think, yeah, we... The cream off, I think. And we can come back and get more. We're, otherwise, we might get mentally distressed or something. Yes. <laughs> you never know. Thanks right, very much, Annette. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Stories from Within the Archives. I'm Rosie Hill, and this is Archive Treasures. If you would like to hear further episodes, you can find our podcasts on our website, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Podbean app. Archive Treasures is produced by the Trentham and Districts Historical Society. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to hs at trentham.org.au or go to our Facebook page, Trentham and Districts Historical Society, Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more Archive Treasures. Archive Treasures